0: morning everyone, we're going to have the second Bible reading today and it's taken from the book of Exodus chapter 1 and starting from verse 22 and uh, Exodus chapter 2. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for, for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a pepperous basket for him and caught it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it, but it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughters went down to the Nile to bath and her attendant were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get her. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the trough to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershon, saying... I have become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them.
1: Thank you, Dalia. Well, good morning, friends. I do hope you've been finding Exodus, our study so far, stimulating. I heard last week some have been preparing by watching Charleston, Charlton Heston's uh, The Ten Commandments movie over 10 hours, I mean, not 10 hours, 3 hours long. That would have been a long movie um, on DVD, yeah. Uh, Another way you can prepare as we consider Exodus over this next service is just to read ahead because over the next uh, few weeks there'll be quite long readings and so it'll be good to read ahead because we won't be able to read all the passage uh, in our service. That's a good way to prepare and I do hope that you've been finding it stimulating because we're learning about the God who ruled and reigned back then and continues to rule and reign today with all the power, majesty and all his good purposes still the same Lord. And so let's uh, join together in prayer Once again, and then we'll consider this passage. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we consider this passage, your work in history, what you did to bring about your good purposes for your people and for your glory, help us to see how that is still true today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin by asking all of you just to do a little self reflection, reflecting on your own lives. Reflecting on the major decisions of your life, so have a think about how old you are, the big decisions throughout your lives. The big decisions you've made, did they turn out as you expected when you made those decisions? Or did the outcome look very different to what you hoped or anticipated? I mean, just worth thinking about, just for a few moments. The big major decisions of your life, Because what we find in the Bible is that in Proverbs we read, In his heart a man plans his course, but God determines his steps. You see, I'm sure it's true for you as it is for me. We live our lives daily, we make decisions daily, big decisions, small decisions, and we just live with our seen realities, what's before us. But there's also an unseen reality, which is in God's eyes from his perspective. What goes behind the scenes? What goes up there in God's reality? What is it that's happening? What is it that God is planning as we make our plans? What is it that God plans to be the outcome? What is it that God wants? What is the significance of it all? What is in fact God doing in my life? Is it just worth reflecting on the big turning points in your life, the big decisions? I mean, I, I thought about this this past week. And you can only really often see this in hindsight. Not always, but in hindsight. And as I look back on my own life, the big decisions I've made in life, some of them, what to study at university, which university to go to. I just wanted to be an engineer, so made that decision, made that call. Joining the Christian Union group in second year, I thought that was quite a major step for me. I thought, well, let's, let's go along to this Christian group, hoping that maybe I'll learn a bit more about the Bible. After I graduated, deciding to stay in Melbourne, working for the government for a few years. I thought, well, it's nice to stay in Melbourne, stay close to family. Another big decision, marrying Yvonne. Perhaps the best decision I've made. She may not say the same, but, but that was a good decision. I mean, these are the realities of my life, decisions I've made anticipating, hoping that they would be wise, good decisions and choices. They were my seen realities. But now in hindsight, I could look back and see, what the unseen realities from God's perspective? Why did I make those decisions? What were the outcomes of those decisions? The unseen reality from God's perspective. Now, of course, I'm not presuming to know everything that God is doing. Not at all. I'm sure God has so much more planned that. That I just do not see at all. But studying engineering, you know, I only you know study for four years, work for six years, sort of making money back, right? But I could see now how God was even in that preparing me for what I'm doing now in ministry. Engineering skills have come in very useful, you know, spreadsheets and rosters in the past. Joining the Christian Union group, I thought that was just for my own benefit. I just wanted to learn a bit more about the Bible, about God and Christianity but little did I know that that experience at university was what God used to deepen my love for the gospel to help me grow my love for the word of God that what he says is true it is so powerful and to long for the salvation of souls and I could see looking back how God was working upon my own heart or staying in Melbourne I had reasons it was easier families here but looking back I could see how God was orchestrating that time that staying in Melbourne meant that I could stay at my home church back then, be deeply involved and heavily involved in the ministries of that church. We started up a growth group, a youth group, and started an English-speaking service at that church. I could not see that at that time. But now looking back, the unseen realities of what God was doing. Or even marrying Yvonne. I mean, in my mind at, at, back then, it was to have a companion for life. But now looking back, we could see how that in the kindness of God was one where he used so that we could be together side by side doing the work of ministry, deciding together, let's pursue this path, let's go to Bible college, let's see what God would do. And so I shared that example just to help us see, we make our decisions, we have our seen realities, the physical world before us. But behind that... They are the spiritual realities, the unseen realities from God's perspective. And it's humbling just to think about. It. So, for you, maybe take a moment, you know, this afternoon, reflect on those big turning points. Now, in hindsight, can you see what God was doing? But also, not just in the, the wise big decisions, but also in the many mistakes I've made in life. I mean, there were plenty. But now, looking back at some of the big mistakes, I could see how God was teaching me something. I had one big car accident, almost lost my life, but I, in the kind of Scott, but it, it taught me something. It taught me that life was frail and fragile, that I better not speed again. It taught me that as well. It taught me humility. Or as I look back and see how when pride sometimes pokes its head in my life, it's just so ugly. And each and every time, God just humbled me. And they were good lessons. And so we have our seen realities. But there's also the unseen reality, the spiritual realm in which God is working. God is bringing about his purposes. And so when we come to this passage, in a sense, that's what we want to see. We have the obvious, the physical, the decisions of the different characters in this story. But what was God doing? What was his reality? What was the unseen reality? What was he orchestrating and planning? And so that's how i like us to approach this passage. So so keep your Bibles open to Exodus 2. And so when we look at this story, we can see the the scene, the physical realities, the choices of Pharaoh, Moses' mother, Pharaoh's daughter, Moses himself. But at the same time, the unseen realities behind that, what God was orchestrating all along even though God was not mentioned. And so what was the situation? Well, Pharaoh has made his decrees. Firstly, it was slavery, and then it became infanticide, and now it's really genocide. Verse 22 of chapter 1. Every boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now again, we read that. It's like a story we saw in the kids' talk. It feels so, you know, so... So nothing so bad. But you have to just imagine how terrifying that would have been for all the mothers, for all the new mothers. Egyptian soldiers going from house to house, knocking and banging on the doors. And then when they discover there's a child in there, ripping the terrified, crying baby from the arms of the mother. And then for the mother to witness, they're begging, they're crying, but to witness the soldiers just throw their son into the Nile. And to see their son drown. Can you just imagine that? Town to town, city to city. The wailing and the crying. It would have been unbelievable. Every baby boy born was already under a death sentence. That would have been terrifying. Horrifying. And then we meet in chapter 2, this Levite woman. Now imagine the stress and terror she was under, the anxiety. Every time she's trying to keep her baby quiet, every time little Moses was crying, she's trying to hush him, hush, hush, not too loud, just in case. Can you imagine that fear living like that every hour, every day, for three months? And so what did she do? Well, it's one of those moments in life where you just have to turn to God. I've got nothing left. I can't do anything about this, God. I I have no, it's over to you, God. I leave it to you in hope. You do something about this situation, God. And in a sense, that's what she did. And so look at verses two to three with me. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Now, we'll pause there for a moment. It's worth noting the word basket here, it's only used in one other place in the Old Testament, and that was in the book of Genesis. It's the same word for the word ark, meaning Noah's ark. Same word used in Genesis. And so, you know, the the physical, the seen realities, what was Moses' mother doing? Placing the baby in a basket. Well, the unseen reality. Well, what was it hinting at? Well, just like the ark, just like how Moses, were, just like how Noah, in fact, was saved through the ark through the water. So Moses may be too, and we're waiting to see what will happen. And then we read on. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. In fact, if you think about what she did, she in fact did. What Pharaoh commanded. It wasn't throw your baby in the Nile, but she did it very cleverly in a basket. Now at this point, again, we, we can't forget how tense and stressful it would have been for Moses' mother. I mean, she'd had no idea what was going to take place. How, how, do, you, how, how do you even imagine? You've placed your child in a basket and you've left him in the Nile. I mean, crocodiles, hippos. I mean, she, she sat those big turning points of life i've got nothing left god i leave it to you in hope now we may never have to face what moses mother did at that point but if you think about our lives and our situations and circumstances we go through sometimes we find ourselves a bit like that i've come to the end of myself and i've got nothing left i don't know what to do I feel like I'm just hanging on a thin thread, and and that could just snap at any moment. I mean, you think about the stories even in our church, the the, the things, the struggles that many of our members are going through. I've taken order medication, I've done order surgery, I've been to order psychologists, I've seen order counselors, I've been on my knees in prayer, I've cried myself to sleep. And I've got nothing left. I mean, that was her situation. And I leave it to you, God. I've got nothing left. You do it. You do it, God. You do something about it. And that was exactly what Moses' mother did. He said, she planned her course, but it was God's end, God's outcome. God who would determine its steps. And so I looked at what, look at what happened. Look at verse 5 and 6. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to Nile to bathe. And her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw a basket among the reeds and sent, sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Now at that moment, when Moses was found by the Egyptian slave girl, by Pharaoh's daughter, it was meant to be an extremely dangerous moment. Because she was the daughter of Pharaoh. The decree was to throw every baby, to kill every boy, throw him in the Nile. And you can just imagine Miriam, Moses' sister, standing there watching. Her heart would be in her throat. What will these Egyptians do with my brother? And they were, in fact, after or ordered to drown the Hebrew babies. There was no way Pharaoh's daughter was going to defy her own father. But then don't you just love what happened? You see, God determines the steps, the unseen reality of what God had planned. And she did something extremely risky for herself in defiance to her father, Pharaoh's daughter, adopted him as her own. And then what happened next? You could not have imagined a better outcome for Moses' mother. You can't even write this up. It's just amazing. Look at verse 9. Eventually, Pharaoh's daughter said to Moses' mother, take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. I mean, you see how the story has come around. They had their decisions. They made it. They did not know what the outcome would be. But this was the outcome. I mean, this was extraordinary. Only moments earlier, she was afraid for her son's life. But now she gets to nurse her own son in public without fear. And get paid for it. I mean, that was perhaps the beginning of maternity pay right there. Exodus 2. I mean, what do you call this? A coincidence? Well, we have to remember how there are the seen realities and the unseen which belongs to God. And the unseen has become seen here. In her desperation, I've come to the end of myself. I've got nothing left. i leave it to you, God, in hope. But God in his providence, he says, don't worry. I've got it under control. And so that's the first part of our story. Now from verses 10 to 11, it's about 40 years. 40 years has passed. And now we meet Moses as a grown man. His first few years when he was weaned by his mother, he was raised as a Hebrew boy, knowing his history His identity, the covenant God made with his forefathers, he would have known that. But then he would have been raised in the Egyptian court, which meant he would have been given the best education, the finest education in the land. Raised, perhaps trained, perhaps to be a commander of the army with power and prestige. In fact, it's known that around 1500 BC that it was customary for foreign-born princes to be reared and educated in the Egyptian court. And so Moses here, he had his foot in both worlds, in his people, in his covenant people, in that world, but also in the Egyptian world. And then we come to this scene. And do you notice how Moses responded? Unlike his mother. His mother just left it to God in hope. But what did he do? He took matters into his own hands. Look at verse 11. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. What did he do? He took matters in his own hands. He behaved just like an Egyptian slave master. And he tried to hide the crime as well. But of course, just like any sin, anything that is done contrary to God's ways, it doesn't just go away. I mean, things always go from bad to worse with sin. You sin, it'll go bad and it'll go worse and worse. It it never gets sort of like pushed under the carpet and forgotten, never at all. I mean, that's an important lesson, even that point for us, isn't it? There are always consequences with sin. It's an important lesson for us. In fact, it was a recent lesson I taught our kids. I mean, in many of the pastoral care and, and chats and discussions and prayers with people I have, I can just see sin will lead to more problems. And more problems, and it often goes from bad to worse, and it gets worse, unless it is dealt with. And so I got my kids, I I said to them, always remember to live according to God's ways. And if you do, you've got nothing to hide, nothing at all. When you sin, you never get away with it doesn't matter whether we as your parents don't see when you sin you never get away with it it always comes back to bite and sin always leads to more trouble and so my lesson today don't make a mess of your life that was the lesson but that's exactly what we see here moses thought that he could kill in secret but it was no secret at all and when he tried to break up a fight between two hebrews what happened look at verse 14 One said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Now, obviously, the one who said that spoke better than he knew. But it was somewhat prophetic of what will eventually take place in another 40 years. And then we read on Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. You see, sin always comes back to bite. And so after that, he fled to Midian. And so what do we have now? What's the story? What's the situation? Well, you've got the situation now where Moses, raised in the Egyptian court, power, prestige, he had it all. But now he's fleeing into the wilderness. He's shunned by his own people, rejected by his very own people. And now isolated and wanted dead by the Egyptian, by his adopted people. He's now become a man. He had prestige, power. He had it all, like a prince of Egypt. But now, no home and no cause. And so the seen realities, what was before him, it it was pretty clear. He took matters into his own hands, and things went from bad to worse. But what are the unseen realities? What was God's purpose in all of that? Was there a significance, even in Moses' mistake, in his brutal killing. Well, we'll come back to that in a moment. And so where did he end up? Well, we come back to this story. He ends up in Midian, which was perhaps where the Sinai Peninsula is. The Midianites, they were nomadic people, so they would travel around. And while we're there, we see this interesting story, this exchange at the well. He rescues these women from some shepherds, and so he did something good. No violence, here. So something quite different. What's fascinating, as you consider what happened there, was that when you consider the stories in Genesis, the well, the springs, were places where a lot of marriages were formed. It's it's an interesting thing to note. With Isaac, Genesis 24. With Jacob, Genesis 29. And so at this well, another marriage was formed. It's not meant to be dating tips for blokes, but that's just, uh, I thought, an interesting point to note. But what happened to Moses? Moses. Well, eventually in the wilderness, he gets married, has a son. Verse 22. Shipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. Now, we'll reflect on that verse for a moment. The tense of the verb, to become, is a little ambiguous here. Was he referring to, he's now become, he in Midian, an alien? So present tense. Or perhaps what was more likely was that it's past tense. He had been an alien, not now in Midian, but in Egypt. And so he's referring to Egypt as a foreign land. So what do you think that was showing about his heart? What do you think that was showing about his longing? It showed that he was longing not to return to Egypt, but he was longing for the promised land. It was something he was longing for. And his longing matches the cry of his people. Look at verse 23 now. The Israelites, they groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. They were groaning and longing. Now we have to remember, this was several hundred years. This was infanticide. This was genocide. They were under the whips of those ruthless slave masters. And then how did God respond? Our final verses. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. Now for God to remember, we might be thinking, well, did that mean God forgot? That God went off somewhere else with some other business in the universe that he forgot? Well, not at all. The the word to remember is covenantal language. It means that God will act on his covenant. To remember means that God will will be doing something about it. And so we read on. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Or literally, God knew their suffering. He knew intimately what was going on. And so the story now we began with Pharaoh, Moses' mother, Now we end this story with its focus on God. What will God do next? What was God orchestrating all along? And so that's Exodus 2. Now when you read this story, it is a wonderful story. You could not have written a better story, only that this was true. And you can see that every decision that was made, everything that was before their eyes, they made their decisions. Pharaoh made his decisions, his decrees. So did Moses' mother, so did Moses. But you notice in this story, as they were making their decisions, you don't see God in the picture anywhere, do you? In fact, God's only mentioned in the last few verses. But in the story itself, God is nowhere to be seen. And so as Moses' mother was crying out to God, God is nowhere to be seen. It it, it perhaps felt like for them, God is nowhere. God has forgotten them. And I suspect that's often how our lives might feel. You know, the seen realities, what's before us. We make decisions, we decide, we live, we do this, we do that. Where is God in all of this? We don't know. We don't get a commentary from God on every decision of our lives. And it feels like that sometimes, that God is nowhere. And from their perspective, it was exactly that. They had no idea where their decisions would lead. What was behind the scenes? But what was behind the scenes? Even though God was not mentioned anywhere in the story itself, what was the unseen reality? You see, everything that happened, the small things, the big things, even the wicked, evil decisions of Pharaoh was used by God. To bring about God's purposes. Do you see how God turned it on its head? Pharaoh tried to throw everything at God. His wicked evil decrees. But it was all used to bring about his own downfall. I mean just think about this story. How could Moses be raised in an Egyptian court? If they were not suffering, if no such decrees, it could not have happened. How did it happen? Well, it only happened because Pharaoh first decreed that all the boys were to be thrown into the Nile. And that of, course, that, of course, led to Moses' mother courageously putting him in a basket in the Nile. And that, of course, led to Miriam suggesting to Pharaoh's daughter, how about his mother nursing him? And that, of course, led to Pharaoh's own daughter adopting Moses as her own. I mean, Moses could not have risen to such heights if Pharaoh did not want him dead in the first place. Do you see how behind the scenes God was working? Even in his wicked decisions, God was using it against him. You see, Moses was being trained, in a sense, by Pharaoh's own court to overthrow Pharaoh one day, right under his nose, and he did not know that. Pharaoh was raising the ideal liberator, of the very people he wanted to enslave. And he did not know that. I mean, you could not have written a better story, only that this was true. And we see, isn't it, in the New Testament, God's folly is wiser than man's wisdom. And so in the unseen reality, what was happening behind the scenes, from heaven's perspective, God outwitted, God outsmarted every evil plan of Pharaoh, Every wrong of his was used for God's own purpose. And so you can see throughout this story, even though God was not mentioned, God's fingerprints, the divine fingerprints, all over the place. And if we do what I suggested at the beginning, reflect on your own lives, you can see, we don't get a commentary from God, but we can see God's fingerprints all over the place. And so even here... When Moses took matters into his own hands and killed a man, fleeing for his life to the wilderness, did that stuff up God's plan? Did that muck up what God had intended? He He did a terrible crime. Well, you see, not at all. It was, in fact, part of God's plan that he would flee to the wilderness. Even in his mistakes, God used that to teach him a lesson. God used what Pharaoh decided, what Moses' mother decided, and even the bad decisions of Moses. You see, before Moses could be raised to be God's deliverer of God's people, it was meant to be that he would end up in the wilderness for another 40 years. He had to learn that it was not by his power. You can't go and kill and be violent. That's not how the people of God will be saved. You have to learn another way. And that is you have to learn to depend on God's power. I mean, he would have been perhaps a commander of the Egyptian army. He was able to wield a sword. But God was teaching him a lesson. It will not be that way. It will be God's way. And so for the first 40 years of his life, he thought he was somebody. I've got power. I've got prestige. I've got, I'm a leader. I know what I'm doing. But then for the next 40 years, his mistake that led him to the wilderness, he'll learn that he's a nobody. And then he'll have to learn to be like what his mother was. He had to learn, I've got nothing. I've got nothing left. I've come to the end of myself, and I'll have to leave it to you, God, in hope. He had to learn dependence upon God. So that if salvation was to come in any way, It will not be by his works, but by God's power. You see, his mistake, his wilderness experience in the unseen plan of God was exactly what God needed to do and to work in him, to prepare him to be God's deliverer. And I think that's helpful for us to reflect on as we reflect on those big turning points, the circumstances, the situations we have in life. I suspect some of us will know what it means to have that wilderness experience. That time where I've come to the end of myself. You see, if that, is, if that is something that you are in at the moment, somewhere you are in at the moment, and you don't know God yet, perhaps that's God teaching you, calling you. You can't do it on your own. You have to depend on me. You have to learn to depend on me. And so, here with Moses, his wilderness experience was used by God to teach him dependence. But of course, it was also to humble him. You see, the proud will always be brought low. The proud will always be brought low. Moses literally lost everything the acceptance of his people, his power and prestige in the Egyptian court. He lost pretty much everything. The proud will always be brought low. I mean, I could see in my own experience in life, when pride raises its head, and, and it's just ugly, God just humbles me. It doesn't take long, and God will humble me. And I find that, in fact, quite comforting, even as I look around in our world, and you see leaders who are just so proud, unbelievably proud. Politicians who make claims like they've got no one to answer for. And you think, how, how can you do that? How can you be so proud? But then I trust that God will always bring low the proud, And he, Moses, he was humbled. He had come to the point of, I'm nothing. I now know that I'm nothing, but God is everything. You see, God had to do his work in him before God had a work to do through him. God had to do his work in him before God had a work to do through him. It was the unseen reality of what God was doing even in his mistakes. And you see, at that point, I think it's it's a point for us to reflect on. In our seen realities, in our choices we make, in the decisions we make, we have our purposes, we have our desires, but it is always God's outcome that will prevail. It is God who determines the steps. The outcome is God's. He knows what he's doing. And even in our mistakes, God uses that to teach us, to humble us, to teach us that we must depend on him. And we can trust that in God's sovereign purposes, in his unseen realities. Nothing is wasted in his economy. When we decide wisely and it's a good choice, praise the Lord. He's given us wisdom to do so, and the glory is his. But even when we make mistakes... It is not all lost, because in God's economy, nothing is wasted. At least, what will happen is that I will be humble, and I'll learn dependence upon God. I mean, that wilderness experience again. Some of us know what it's like. Some of us have not been in that experience just yet, but but eventually, some of us will, or all of us will. In fact, just just the other week, someone shared with me of her wilderness experience and. And somehow that was a big turning point for her. It was the moment when she came to know of the Lord and his grace. But this is the story that's not done yet. And I'll end with this. You see, there is a greater story that the story of Exodus was pointing forward to. Leading towards. That's part of God's unrelenting commitment to save his people for his glory. That will be the theme of Exodus. And God will use even the wickedness of Pharaoh to bring about his deliverer for his people. But you see, this story is looking forward to a greater story. We got a hint of it in that kids' talk. A greater unseen reality of what God is in fact doing in this world that affects all people. You see, you can't help but see the similarities in this story and another story. A greater Exodus. The story that this story is pointing towards. When another deliverer was also born under the sentence of death. Do you know that story? When Herod the Great, just like Pharaoh, a tyrant, wanted to have all the baby boys slaughtered. you know that story? I mean, what was God doing there? The unseen reality. Well, just like Moses, Jesus was delivered. He went to Egypt and then he came back and he will become that greater deliverer that even Moses himself was looking forward to. The deliverer of not just the people of Israel, but the world. In this story, Moses risked his life to save his people, but in that greater exodus, Jesus gave his life to save his people in his own death and resurrection. And you see in that story, the greatest display of evil Betrayal by close friends, injustice, miscarriage of justice, evil and weakness done towards Jesus, brutal beatings, floggings, and the crucifixion. I mean, they were the decisions of wicked and evil men. And what did God do? In his reality, he used it all. He used it all. And he brought about salvation for the world the unseen reality of what God has been doing is now seen clearly in his son, Jesus Christ. You see, we have to end with that story, with the gospel, because it's how we can trust that even now, our big decisions, our small decisions, our right decisions, our wrong decisions, we can trust, we can trust absolutely that God will work for the good of those who love him. And that is us who trust in his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, that even though we live this life not seeing beyond what this day holds, not seeing above what is before our eyes, but we can trust that you are absolutely sovereign, that you'll always bring about your good purposes, and you have already done so in your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom there is the
0: great exodus, salvation from sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen